for the week of July 9th, 2023, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 622, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling-Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, outside of Moe's, yet again, I'm Michael Giltz. Oh, a new parking you know, spot opened up. I need to move over. <laughs> get over. Are you serious? I get over. Well, I can get closer to the router. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, you've got to stop traveling on assignment. This is this is crazy. I mean, literally, as we are, as we're recording, you can probably hear Michael in the background. Though I'll probably edit all of this out. You know, he always faults me for not actually having a uh, for for not being around when I'm traveling, and he's literally recording while traveling. This isn't dangerous at all! <laughs> you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to don't talk. Don't drive, and you can listen to a podcast, but don't record a podcast while driving. No, unbelievable. You know, it's hands-free. Hands-free. You're supposed to be hands-free, not, not podcast-free, but still. Okay, this Did you guy's wanna... looking at his phone. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Just tell you know, hey, here we are. It's a new week, July 4th last week, so not a lot of stuff happened, but there's some stuff that happened. What are we going to talk about? Oh, son of a bitch, this truck just took my spot. Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, apparently we are learning how to park cars. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Michael's on assignment. I'm in Los Angeles. I have a new microphone, by the way. Uh, or at least I'm using my spare microphone because last week you probably heard all that buzzing. And uh, I thought it was the XLR cable. Turns out it was the microphone, which is a much more expensive problem to fix. So yeah, that's a great, that's great. Uh, in, in any case, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, uh, it's just really too hot to discuss the writer strike. And you know what? The WGA agrees with us. The Writers Guild of America, they said they're suspending pickets when the weather is threatening to their members' health. Uh, you know, you used to worry about scabs. Now you have to worry about the heat index. Nonetheless, we'll stay indoors, savor some air conditioning, and talk about AI. That's artificial intelligence for you that are keeping score at home. It's one of the key areas of discussion, and some argue a broad consensus among artists has been reached. They want to get paid when someone uses their work. That is their consensus. They want to be paid Crazy. when, yeah, when working. Who knew? Plus, we have another example of why no one should trust stories from the tabloids, and it's pretty juicy. Oh, on Inside Baseball, we'll look at the music business. Yet again, we've got some solid estimates on how music streamers are doing in the United States, which is good to know since we'll be able to measure the impact of TikTok music when it arrives in America. I am not subscribing to another one, okay? I got the Apple, I got the Spotify, no more. That is it. TikTok, you should have been here sooner. There's no more left for you. In any case, Elton John and Taylor Swift, they are putting up ridiculous numbers on tour. I can't afford to go see them because I pay for both Spotify and for Apple, so I can't pay to see them. Uh, my question is, can the Eagles catch up with them with their own farewell concerts. I don't think Taylor Swift is saying farewell, though. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines, or at least we would if last week wasn't a holiday and nothing much happened, so we've got at least two. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist Michael Giltz and apparently future Formula One racer. He's going to fill us in on last week's box office. 
That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. And the number one film is, again, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, $118 million worldwide. It's now at $250 million. If that doesn't sound like a lot for a movie that costs $300 million after it's already opened up everywhere, you're right. At number two is Lost in the Star. Oh, excuse me, Lost in the Stars, a Chinese suspense film that made another one hundred and eight million dollars. That's at four hundred and thirty million dollars worldwide in China. Another film they don't need Hollywood. Never say never is out. It made eighty one million dollars this week. It's at one hundred and twenty million dollars and counting. If you know what the movie's about and is it based on that TV series or what the budget was, tell us. Yes, you can write to us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. And at this rate, you're you probably sound much better than I do, given <laughs> my microphone problems. We're also on Twitter, at Sandbox is our handle. We're not on threads yet, so no, I do not have a threads account. And Michael, I don't think you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not on it. I do. Uh, you do. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, we're also on Facebook. Maybe we should get a threads account for Facebook. Uh, or no, a threads account for Showbiz Sandbox, but it wouldn't be on Facebook. Look, we're on Facebook, people. This is a mess today. I don't know what is going on. In any case... Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. And I know there are going to be people calling and writing in going, I don't know, Michael was doing box office and the big news story of the week wasn't his first film. (laughs) Uh, The next movie is Insidious, The Red Door. Uh, It stars and is directed by Patrick Wilson. It made $64 million in its opening week. That's great for a movie that only costs $16 million to make. That's four times the reported budget. That's a winner already. And That's how you make a movie, Hollywood. That's how you do it. You see, you spend X, then you make Y, and Y has to be bigger than X. That's how you do it. (laughs) That's how you do it. And the story's not over for Elemental, the Pixar film. It had a modest opening. Critics weren't really nice, but it made $64 million this week. It's at $250 million worldwide. Uh, It's going to have a long road to go, but the good news is it's holding really well in a lot of parts of the world. Korea's going crazy for the movie. It grew in its second week. It's having terrific holds in many other countries. People are discovering the movie, and they're liking it. So long-term, that's certainly good. You like a movie that audiences love. That always means it's going to be more valuable down the road. But still, it did cost $200 million to make. But it's a much better story than, say, Indiana Jones, where the strongest reaction is, eh, not so bad. Unless you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, terrific basketball player, very interesting writer of both fiction and a good social commentator. I love his newsletter. It's really worth checking out. And he talks about a lot of pop culture stuff every once in a while. And he thought the movie was great. So there you go. My kids yeah. went to see it and they came back and they looked at me and they went, that movie was good. I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, it's not me. I said it was good. I said it was a good Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> well, um, did you see Sound of Freedom? Did you send your kids to that? That's QAnon the movie. That's its alternate title. It's a Jim Caviezel drama about a kitty sex ring that our hero is breaking up. It opened up to an astonishing $40 million worldwide. It cost $15 million to make, and it's a crazy story. They made it for Fox. 
Then Fox was bought by Disney. Disney put the movie on the shelf. They wouldn't sell back the rights to the filmmakers, but finally they pulled back the rights five years later. It was 2018 when they made the movie. They finally got back the rights. They did crowdfunding in order to release the movie, and everybody's going to be happy because it had a really terrific opening. So Sound of Freedom, Jim Caviezel. If you're the executive on this who went, just get rid of this movie. How do you look now? I, I personally, I don't think this movie would have done as well with Fox or Disney shepherding it into movie theaters. It never would have made it in movie theaters uh, with, with Disney behind it. Uh, I just don't think it's a movie Disney would want in its, cat- in its library, necessarily. It's kind of a nutty, far-right movie. The star, Jim Caviezel, has been going to uh, what we can only call QAnon conventions, where he endorses the blood libel idea that there's a crazy cult of Satanists worldwide who are kidnapping children so they can drain their blood and access adenochrome. It's as nutty as it sounds. There also have been journalists critiquing the uh, guy the movie is based on, saying he's making up a lot of stuff, that what he's doing is kind of dangerous, and he's not really really following good principles in terms of fighting child sex trafficking, which, of course, we all object to. I think it's terrible. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nutty movie. I don't think they would want it in their library. And so I think it's easier for them just to pass it along. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that was probably the right call. Whether or not the crowdfunding made the movie more successful, it helps to be an underdog sometimes. That's as good a marketing hook as any. But Jim Caviezel has a lot of uh, draw in the you know, faith-based, far-right uh, audience-going segment of the population. So that helps, too. Do you think that the, you know, there's all the conspiracy theories uh, associated with this film, do you think that that QAnon, I don't know, demographic helped push the film over, over the edge? That's what I just said. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, okay. So we're saying the same thing, but in two different ways, maybe? No. Maybe the same way? I don't know. I don't know. It's the microphone, people. It's the new microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, another movie doing great with critical and popular acclaim is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Or as Sperling would say, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I don't know whether that comes across on this microphone. I'm just saying. Not not as well. Not as well. But you did your best. It made $35 million this week. I've been recommending it to friends. It's a terrific movie. My favorite of the year so far. Kareem. Agrees with us, or I should say Mr. Abdul-Jabbar. We're not on first-name basis. But it's made $640 million worldwide. Now we're back in China with another animated film. I did not look how to pronounce this. I apologize. Chang'an San Wan Li. It took a while just to find out what this movie was. It's an animated film. It's like two hours and 45 minutes long. It's a period epic. It looks like a... Uh, you know, a warriors type film with an epic scope. It looks interesting from the trailer, though there are no English subtitles, and it opened to $28 million. So that's another solid beginning for a film in China. Right below that is Transformers Rise of the Beast, another $26 million that is just passing the $400 million mark. Then back to China, The White Storm 3, the third in a franchise. Uh, it's about undercover cops. It made $24 million on its opening week. Not bad. The first movie made about $44 million. The second movie made $200 million. I bet this one lands somewhere right in the middle. Uh, then back to another movie that Kareem liked. Yeah, you know, I really like his, uh, I really enjoy his commentary. He really enjoyed No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. He thought it was a lot of fun. It made $19 million this week. It's at $70 million worldwide. The Little Mermaid. My kids are still talking about this movie. Of course, when I say that, uh, I'll, I've, I've heard parents say, you took them to see that movie? 
with actual judgment in, in their voice. People were like, I can't believe you took them to see an R-rated movie like that. Any like, R-rated well, movie? Lots of parents well, take lots of kids to R-rated movies. <laughs> one of them is 18 years old, so let's stop there, okay? They yeah. could have gone themselves. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, did you like it too? It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It wasn't as funny as I'd hoped it would be, mm-hmm. but it was kind of like fun, funny and touching. I was like, pick one, pick one. Don't try and do both. Just be funny. And I bet there was an underlying message of moral goodness under, underneath it all. Not really. No, it was just a raunchy no. sex comedy. Yeah, it tried to be a raunchy sex comedy. I heard it was end. sentimental by the end and, and, yeah, and kind of exactly. sweet. Well, yeah, yes, if it exactly. was kind of sweet, that means the message was a positive one, ultimately. Yeah, I guess. Well, you I wasn't it, looking for a me. message. I got to be honest. If there was a message, it escaped me because I wasn't looking for one. Did they say have sex with strangers and hire sex workers? Was that the message of the movie? Gotta say no, that was not the message of the movie. Okay. Well, it made $19 million this week. It's at $70 million worldwide. The Little Mermaid is chugging along. That's about to pass the $550 million mark. Then there's The Flash, which this is the last time I mentioned this, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar says, hey, a lot of people have been dissing on this movie. I saw it. I liked it. I thought it was good. It's at $260 million worldwide. He probably shouldn't look for a Flash sequel anytime soon. Uh, Going down the list for something interesting, Love Never Ends, this Chinese drama about seniors who are broke but in love. Why have not not heard about a Hollywood remake? Why hasn't someone optioned this film? It made $11 million this week. It's at $60 million worldwide. Wes Anderson continues to chug along Asteroid City is at the $40 million mark. Joyride, one of the better-reviewed comedies of the year. Talk about a raunchy R-rated comedy that you probably won't take your daughters to. This is about a female road trip to China. Uh, it's $6 million so far in its opening uh, opening week. And, and this going, was a good movie. This was a oh, good movie. They yeah, showed it at CinemaCon, and they did so, and they showed it at South by Southwest, to positive reviews. And they did it because they said, look, we actually have a comedy here that's really funny. Uh, we hope that people come and see this movie. And so well, they showed it at CinemaCon to laugh out loud. I mean, it was, there were some gut-busting moments in this movie. Whoa, and then in the end, it turned sentimental, but you knew it was, com- like, it was actually a very good movie. Well, it hasn't uh, really caught on fire with audiences yet. We'll have to see if the word of mouth turns out to be good. And again, you can look at our full list in our show notes, but scrolling down, there is, where is it? There's two more movies to talk about. Oh, in Japan, we missed this last week. Tokyo Revengers 2, part two. It's a live action adaptation of a manga. And I think there was an animated version of it as well. Now we have the live action version. This is the sequel, part two of the sequel, much like Mission Impossible. It made $3 million dollars this week it's at eight million dollars total it's like a sci-fi gangster flick so i'm guessing it made about five million dollars in its opening week but we don't have great access to the japanese box office unless it appears on comscore because their individual charts take don't come out on monday like we get the chinese charts devoted to china on monday so anything that doesn't make it onto comscore the trades we can catch up on but we don't have that same access for japan it takes us an extra week practically to find out what was happening at their box office and in spain thanks to the notes in the comscore newsletter we found out about vacaciones de verano or summer holidays a spanish comedy about two divorced dads who get a summer job working at a resort they're going to be child entertainers and they bring their kids along so they can sort of combine work and pleasure and hilarity ensues. That opened up to a modest $1.5 million in Japan. But everybody's looking forward to... In Japan? Or do you mean Spain? I mean Spain. Dios mio. That was quite wrong of me. But everybody's talking about Barbie. The Philippines, or 
saying, well, they might join Vietnam in banning Barbie. Not the doll, of course, but the movie, because it embraces Chinese propaganda. And right, no, wait, Warner Brothers says, people, no, there is no international map of the world in the Barbie movie. We, we, the map that you see briefly only shows a few continents. It doesn't even include all the countries in major countries. It's just this like childlike map, and the dotted line is simply the path that Barbie was planning to follow or did follow on her journey. It's like that dotted line you see in Indiana Jones. It has nothing to do with the nine dot line or the nine dash line that China promotes. It is absolutely nothing to do with anything. Barbie's not involved in that. Not that she's not a smart woman who couldn't have an opinion on world politics, but please, this has got nothing. It's just the dotted line saying where I'm going. There's no hint of anything. And when you see the movie in context, you will know this is true. It's got nothing to do with that. So people are overreacting to stuff before they have all the information. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I wonder if they had to see the film, uh, because at this point the film is done and it's going through censor uh, boards. Uh, and I wonder if the censor board just got... What I would do is just take the film back and uh, just connect I, the dots on that line and then just make it a, a I think they just I line. think the people just saw images or something I don't think it's about oh, okay. is it the, is it about I thought people just got an, an uproar before they'd seen the movie but well, I assume if, I assume if they saw the movie in context they would understand uh, yeah. which brings this jump right then to um, the social justice section where we talk about this crazy story in the Sun tabloid. There's this bizarro story that just took another twist five minutes ago. No, I was not going to report on it. I put the story aside and said, what the heck is this? Because it's the Sun. It was a story that broke in the UK tabloid, the Sun. And as we've said many times, don't repeat crap in the Sun or the Daily Mirror or the New York Post, which I once wrote for, unless there's coverage in other papers that do their own reporting. You should not be repeating the crap they put out because they have a long track record of making crap up and or not being, you know, reasonable journalists whose stories you can depend on for being valid and reasonably reported on. What happened? The Sun tabloid splashed across their front page an interview with a mom who says a BBC presenter unnamed paid her child they still haven't identified the sex of the child. Tens of thousands of pounds for explicit photos her child used took that money to fund a crack habit and is now a shell of their former selves. Sounds awful. The mother says she complained to the BBC in May and she's upset the presenter is still on the air. That's why she's turned to the son. The son made a point of saying the mother did not want to be paid for anything for her story. They weren't paying her for this. Then it got crazy. Everybody piled onto the BBC based on only on this story in the sun politicians are calling for investigations others are condemning this horrendous behavior why didn't they do something about this sooner then male presenters on the bbc one after the other online saying uh not me i don't know what's going on but it ain't me just just so you know not me they're all like once one said it's not me then they all like got online We're like it wasn't me it wasn't me and so the bbc's like look we heard something a month ago. Now we're hearing new stuff that's radically different. We're looking into it. You know, we're doing what we can with the information we have, right? And then they say, we've suspended the presenter. We're looking into it. Give us a chance. And some outlets say they were in contact with the police. Now there's a new story. There's a lawyer representing the adult, the young person who is now of age, and they represent this person. And according to their lawyer, Everything this person's mom says is rubbish. 
and they were contacted by the Sun. They sold the Sun. It was rubbish. And the son ran with the story anyway. The lawyer says, "So quote, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we're we're discussing it then, and that we well, strung up that 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 presenter by their their well, short right. Oh, well, we wait, didn't. Oh, we didn't. Let me, let me the lawyers. Down. We didn't. The lawyer says, to be clear, quote, nothing inappropriate or unlawful end quote has taken place between their client and the BBC presenter. Now this." person may be pressured by the presenter or somebody else or who knows what or offered money to change their but as far as we know the son did not quote that person in their original story uh they only spoke to the mother or they, they the, the person says they spoke to them and they ignored what they said we don't know what's going on but we do know when a story originates solely in the sun tabloid you should not run with it you should not repeat it and if you want to investigate it yourself and see if there's an actual story there and reinvestigate it okay but just repeating it in the trades has created a firestorm of attention and that's just ridiculous. Everybody knows better than, than to treat stuff from the Sun and the Daily Mail and other tabloids as something actually worth repeating. So shame on all so of them. So just to be clear, the reason we're discussing this is not because it was in the Sun, but more to the point, it was in trade publications. Every, every, every newspaper in the world is covering this. Everybody. Yeah, okay. All the trades, the New York Times, the, the, the BBC itself, everybody's covering this story. Um, and it's just, it's a, you know, witch hunt and a madness and insanity because it came from the sun. You read something in the sun, you go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you well, should know not to repeat it unless you have done your own homework when that's what they didn't do. Well, I'm... I'm want to know a, a couple things that have nothing to do with this story. One, are you going to see Barbie or Oppenheimer first? Okay. Uh, I'm, well, I've originally booked Oppenheimer for Thursday night, but okay. Barbie has a special screening maybe on Wednesday night, and if I can get into Oof. that, I will. Okay, so <laughs> Barbieheimer, Barbenheimer, or whatever it's Yeah, I called. would like to see both movies. They both look interesting. And, and go the see trailer was great. Mission Impossible, whatever this one is, seven or whatever. It's a good movie. I mean, too long, but they're all too long these days. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Would it be a good and, movie if it was written by an AI? I was just going to say, it sounds to me like the story you're discussing in The Sun, and I know I'm bouncing around a lot, here, uh, but it sounds like it was created by artificial intelligence. Not at all. It does not it's, sound real. It's created by clickbait desire to do crappy journalism because you know you can get, you, you learned better and assuming that what this person's lawyer says is true and you can be disbarred for lying, uh, though not in a court, just in public opinion, so maybe not. But nonetheless, uh, lawyers tend not to, you know, do that too much. But yeah, you know, it's just crappy journalism. But yeah, lots of stories are getting generated by AI now and that's why it's one of the big discussion points in all the debates going on for SAG and the Writers Guild and the directors not so much because they just signed a deal. But it's too hot to pick it. They can't pick it right now, but they can talk about AI. A lot of ink has been spilled about it for the moment. No AI program can write a screenplay that's ready to shoot that would be actually good yet. <laughs> but, you know, that could happen very, very soon. And there seem to be two areas of consensus here. One is that in all the new contracts, Everyone wants to ban the studios or say, look, you're going to work with our union, the Writers Guild or the Actors Guild. You cannot use AI uh, solely and replace our jobs with AI. 
We will not work with you. You can't make a movie using AI. We're not going to sign on to act in it or, you know, do anything with it or direct it if it's not involving humans. We don't want to replace humans with AI. It can be a tool you might use. We have to discuss it, but it needs to be a tool and not a job replacer. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, that seems to be an area that they can fight and get some ground on. But there's no, and in fact, they already say the rules say, if look, if you're working, want to be a union shoot, you cannot use a non-union member for your script and AI is not a member of the union. Therefore, you cannot use an AI generated script, right? Yeah, I mean, this seems to be, uh, you know, whether it's actors or writers, they're all on the same page on this, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Well, the other, the other consensus doesn't really have to do with the new contracts, but with laws that need to be passed. Uh, and they need to get the studios on board during these strike negotiations. Creative people, whether actors or screenwriters or songwriters or performers or journalists, they all agree on one thing. They don't like seeing their work used without getting paid which happens to me all the time. Every AI has used people's creative work to train the system. If they're generating poetry or music or writing of a screenplay, they have poured in tons of examples of those works in order to create the system. Whose work? How much? Nobody knows. Maybe even the people doing it didn't keep track. But the writers and the creatives are saying, we want to get paid. And think of it like sampling. First, everyone sampled music willy-nilly. Nobody knew what to do. There were no rules, right? Then the courts ruled that, no, you know what? You actually use someone's music. You got to pay them. You got to pay the songwriter. You got to use the recording. You pay the people who own the recording you used and how much depended on how much of it you used. And they're saying now, maybe the same should apply to AI and we need to put those rules into place right now. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the uh, conspiracy theories, if you will, about why Twitter stopped, you know, now they have this limit of 600 or 600, depending on whether you're verified or not, you can only view 600 tweets per day because they, they didn't want to be training AI. They said, you know, you, all you people are like scraping our site, all, all you AI bots, and you're learning uh, how to, uh, you know, write and speak. Uh, you know, all the, you're training your AI using Twitter, which good grief. If you're training IA using AI using Twitter, can you imagine the AI that comes out of t- tweet posts? I mean, it would just be horrible. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with the artists in this, uh, in this regard. I mean, if they're, if they're using old scripts to train AI to write new scripts, then they need to be paid. Right, unless they're in the public domain, you know, which which many True. are not. But uh, yeah, you know, I know my stuff is used to generate content for websites all the time. There's every possibility somebody used articles of mine, God help them, to train an AI to write. You know, they're just grabbing stuff on the web. They don't even know what they're grabbing, which means, guess what? You can't use what you've done. You use that AI program to generate anything that generates a copyright or creates value because you can't pay the people you stole from. If you can't identify who you stole from, maybe you shouldn't be able to use it. You know, right. these are and the things that are going to be hashed out in court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, uh, we're going to have to go to court on that one. But we do know people love to see movies on the big screen and they want them to be well-written, but sometimes it just want a spectacle. And when you look at the streaming numbers this week, Avatar, The Way of Water, debuted about a month ago on Disney Plus and Max. Why is it on the Warner Brothers? Why is Avatar a co I forget. Oh, wait. It was a co-production, wasn't it, Avatar? No, that was Titanic. Was Avatar a co-production? No, it was not. 
Well, why is it on Disney Plus and Max? You know, the Warner Brothers Max streamer. I have no idea. I've forgotten everything about that. But Avatar The Way of Water is on both those streamers, and it generated almost 2 billion minutes of views about a month ago, starting the week of June 5th to June 11th. So, uh, clearly... People love seeing it in the theater, one of the biggest hits of all time, and that doesn't stop them from wanting to see it at home. That's the number one argument of why showing a movie in a theater is so good for business. <laughs> okay, I figured it out, and I, this what? is what I was going to say, and I, I didn't because oh, I great. wasn't sure. So Avatar is the last film in their output deal, in Disney's output deal oh. with HBO. So oh. that's essentially what's happening here is, you know, you, you have an output deal, and then you go to the bank and you say, hey, bank, bank, look. If I make these movies, then HBO will pay me to license them after they play in theaters. And the bank goes, that's such a good business. Here's some money I will loan you. Uh, And that's just one of the reasons that you get an output deal. Uh, That said, you have to make good movies because otherwise the value of the licensing goes down because, you, you know, you're relying on box office to create the licensing value. So this is the last film in that long-standing deal that will appear on HBO before it goes to Disney+. Plus. Wow, well, that's a, that's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, well, there I mean, it is. Just take it. Yeah. Just take it. Okay. All right. I'm just going to take this big deal and big whoop uh, kind of uh, segue and move it over to here to where our... This is like a horrible day, by the way. I, I got totally thrown off by not using my regular microphone, and now I can't even say big deal or big whoop, that segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Wait, I just said it. Okay, so maybe things are getting better. Our first story. Let me, this let me take the first story because you're the one who put it in here. You had the better insight. Okay. This is about right. film boss Donna Langley. At NBC Universal, there was a major shakeup, and Donna Langley is now going to lead TV as well as film. She became the chief content officer uh the way the story i originally read was another woman being fired and i think it was deadline i shouldn't say that or a hollywood reporter kind of dissing uh the exec who was out going out the door and saying what kind of identity does nbc have anymore they've lost their way maybe donna langley can bring her mojo to it and what i didn't recognize was that langley has really been promoted into the job uh left empty after jeff shell is that his name? Yes, he was the, the head of uh, NBC Universal. And right around CinemaCon, CinemaCon time in April, he mm-hmm. uh, essentially was, he quit and Slash was fired because he was having an extramarital affair and it, it was with somebody inside the company and it had, there was a lawsuit over it. Uh, so he was fired and now is being replaced by Donna Langley, a woman. Uh, and uh, well, maybe not replaced per se, but that they're not replacing that role. They're making Donna Langley pretty much the top dog there, and I, I use top dog as a... So she doesn't have his title? No, I don't think anybody does now. Or maybe who, Mike Cavanaugh. Who does she, the, who does she report yeah. to? To Mike Cavanaugh, who, who is the president. He began, you know, when Jeff Schell He's was... He's the president uh, of Comcast. Yes, exactly. Right, so there's no head of Universal as such, unless you consider chief content officer the head. But she's, of course, got a great track record. Uh, she's been overseeing Jurassic Park and Fast and Furious. Uh, she just landed uh, Christopher Nolan when he was furious with uh, Warner Brothers over their treatment of movies and sending them direct to streaming. She backed Jordan Peele's directorial debut, Get Out. She backed Elizabeth Banks, giving her the uh, Pitch Perfect series and the recent hit Cocaine Bear. She's been a big champion of Judd Apatow. 
well. So uh, Straight Outta Compton, which was a big, big hit. Uh, Ice Cube gave her a lot of credit for uh, backing them. Uh, she just got knighted a dame of the British Empire in 2022. So this is really a woman, yet again, becoming a head of as much as can be said from that title of one of the top studios in the country it's happened before uh, but it's great to see it happening again right and there's a reason why they gave her this power isn't there yes i mean she's very well liked in hollywood so that's number one she uh, started you know this is a decades-long career that started at new line she worked her way up she outlasted ron meyer who was the head of uh, nbc universal for a while adam fogelson and of course jeff shell we just mentioned uh adam fogelson now runs lionsgate uh, and you know, she, look, when, when you talk about whether it's, uh, Jordan Peele or whether it's Elizabeth Banks, these are people that made their first film at Universal and then came back and made more. So people tend to like her. And one of her, uh, attributes that everybody talks about is she's very good at delivering bad news. So you're, you know, it's like, oh, you're putting my film into turnaround. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much, Donna. But in, in any case, uh, you know, she is very smart. She was able to, she has, you know, no IP like Marvel. So keep that in mind. No, well, no stories, Jurassic Park. Jurassic World. Fast and, and Furious. And she was able to keep those things on track, no pun intended, uh, and continue making movies that made money, whether they were good or not is a different story. You know, she's also responsible for cats. So let's not forget about that. Everybody makes mistakes. But the more important point is if they didn't give her more control and power, somebody else would have offered a job doing much the same. Yes, I mean, let's face it, Bob Iger is out there kind of looking for somebody to replace him. At least that's what he says, and that's what Disney says. And there were a lot of fingers pointing at Donna Langley saying, um, you know, she's done quite well over here at, at uh, Universal. And guess what? They also have a theme park, so maybe give her a phone call. Mike Lazarus, who is now heading uh, up TV uh, and really their digital side, so like Peacock, uh, he also was kind of targeted as a potential replacement for Iger. Uh, that would come from outside the company, uh, of course, outside of Disney. But instead of uh, you know waiting around to find out whether Disney was going to come calling, NBC Universal upped everybody and kind of uh, they they say it's a big shakeup, but it was kind of long. You know, this was expected to happen. It's not that big a shakeup. And of course, the, their streaming service is Peacock, where a lot of her movies are going to find a home. And, uh, you know, are they, are they, they're, they're expecting her to recharge television and thus help mold Peacock into a, a bigger success story than it is right now. Yes, that's the hope. Yes. Uh, do you think um, they've been spending too much money on Peacock? Do they not have a good game plan? Because you're arguing that everybody is rethinking streaming. Well, okay, that's our next story, which is about, uh, you know, Peacock, by the way. No, I don't think they're spending uh, that much on their original content for Peacock at all. In fact, some might say they're not spending enough, depending Me. on who you ask. Uh, Amazon, on the other hand, just can't seem to spend enough. They just overspend. And now Andy Jassy, who is the new CEO of Amazon, or relatively new, uh, he took over for Jeff Bezos, is saying, hey, uh, Amazon Studios, can you send your heads up here to Seattle where our head office is? Uh, I'd like to ask them about some of these uh, line items in their budgets because did they actually spend fifty million dollars an episode making this making this uh, series called Hold on, check my note, Citadel. I've never even heard of it, and it's on our network. I, I mean, they just spent money like there was no tomorrow. And now Andy Jassy saying, 
explain to me why you're making all these movies that are, and, and TV shows that aren't very good. Mostly it's the TV shows that, that they have a, a problem with Daisy Jones and the Six, The Power, Dead Ringers, The Peripheral, Citadel, all these shows that cost hundreds of millions of dollars and that nobody really watches. The Rings of Power was really a Jeff Bezos thing. This was a, a uh, Lord of the Rings spinoff. It cost $400 million or more to make, and then people watched it. They sampled the first two episodes, but then they didn't really stick with it. None of these shows have come in in the top 10 of Nielsen's charts, which, for lack of a better uh, measuring stick, uh, is what's being kind of I don't. I don't think that's true. I'm pretty I, sure I the know. Ring of Power cracked the top ten at least once. You mean? I think most the Rings watch- of Power did. I'm talking yeah. about the other shows. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be surprised, and I, I don't know even about the other shows. Uh, you, 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 you claim viewer feedback says we don't want to hear about those numbers unless it's a good show. Uh, but I think there's a lot going on there. But you're saying this is a part of a bigger moment. It's not just about Amazon overspending. It's about everybody rethinking their streaming strategy. Right. I think that uh, Wall Street has told streamers, hey, you know what's really cool? Subscribers are great. Don't get me wrong. But what's really cool is this thing, and it starts with a P word, profit. Why don't you try and find some? And so they're, they're going, well, maybe we don't need to spend $18 billion a year on original content or on licensing content. Last year, Amazon spent $7 billion on original shows and licensed programs. And of course, sports. Don't forget they're in sports. Uh, that's up from $5 billion the year before, by the way. Uh, and mm-hmm. the company is basically in cost-cutting mode. They're, they're slashing 27,000 jobs across the board, not just in, uh, at Amazon Studios. And so they're really rethinking uh, a lot of their business. And the question now is, is Andy Jassy rethinking Amazon Studios? I don't think he is. I think he's just saying, you know, guys, if you're going to spend this kind of money, I need hits. I know we're not measured the same way as other streamers and other studios. We're a retailer at heart. But you can't spend $250 million making Citadel and not actually have it be a hit. Uh, if you look, Jennifer Salky is the head of the studio right now. Under her watch, she took over for Roy Price. Under Salky's watch, the studio hasn't been doing as well as it did under Roy Price. I don't know why. Uh, you know, Under Price, you had uh, Transparent, Mozart in the Jungle. You had Manchester by the Sea and the Big Sick as, as uh, kind of indie hit movies. That said, Roy Price had his own social justice moment, which is why he's no longer there at uh, Amazon Studios. Uh, and Salky, there's been some kind of pushback on Salky. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that you could say it, it's her fault necessarily. I think, uh, yes, you probably need to start spending less money on some of this content. I don't think there's an over... I think everybody's sort of catching their breath in streaming, but I don't think Disney regrets launching a streaming service. No. No, not I don't, at all. I don't think anybody regrets launching their service. They can't spend as much money. They obviously want to spend money on hits rather than flops, but they all needed to be in this space. They all needed to, you know, put their marker down and start to have an imprint and start to say, well, we've got these movies. And I think they're rethinking the idea that it has to be exclusive to them. They are saying, well, not every show I have, especially one that's five or 10 years old, needs to be exclusive. You know, if I've got an old X-Files, no. I can sell that. I can rent that out to someone else as well as have it on my server. I think they're going too far in the direction of shoving everything off the cliff and saying, let's making it disappear because that's not a, good, not a good look for uh, creatives down the road. You create a show and it just disappears and is never seen again. So, But that used to happen in the old days to all sorts of shows. You run a season or two, you didn't get syndicated. You didn't get put out on VHS or DVD. You just disappeared. 
but when it's been available on streaming and you feel like it could be there forever, you get a little annoyed. So yeah, I, think I mean, it's, uh, Apple recently paid Warner Brothers uh, uh, quite a lot of money to prevent Ted Lasso from going into syndication, to which I would say, please put the first season in syndication. Put the second season in syndication. Don't put the third season yet. It's too soon. But why not? There's only you know, like some money. There's not it. enough. Yeah. There's you can't do syndication on that show. There's not enough episodes. That's what I said when I, when they said that what they were thinking. What you doing said it. it's not it's not possible. You know when I was reading about when they, when I was reading that they they paid to to prevent syndication. I was like syndication of what the eight they, episodes they must, that you made. They must mean something else. They must mean like putting it on another streamer or making it available on a chan- a fast channel where you can watch ads Who and knows? replay the episode. Yeah. Well, they couldn't mean stripping it five days a week because there's simply not enough episodes. You'd repeat I the agree. episodes every... There's no agreeing that's not possible to syndicate, meaning put it on some channel five days a week at a certain time, you know, every week. That's You can't well, do that like with the a show office with 24 or episodes. Right. The, those shows can be syndicated because they have hundreds of episodes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I, I really disagree that people are rethinking the whole like, the concept of streaming. No, they needed to be in that space. Whether that's the great thing for the business or not is another thing where you make the movie, own the, own the theater chain, then own the stream, you know, <laughs> you own everything from soup to nuts. Not necessarily the best thing for creatives, but they all wanted to have a streamer. Uh, they just need to make sure they do it in a smart way. Well, I'd say that sounds like Inside Baseball, but it is, it is. time for mm-hmm. Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business, and more importantly, how they affect you. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know what? Taylor Swift could have made a billion dollars on a recent tour. She could have made she, it. She's not done. She's still adding dates. She could have. She might. But anyway, yes. uh, well, you can give us the numbers. Let me set it up. Music streaming numbers get revealed. We've known how big music streamers are worldwide, but we haven't had firm numbers for just the U.S. market. But now, thanks to a trade group, we have a good estimate of how big they are in the U.S. The National Music Publishers Association uh, announced it cracked the code on figuring out how many subscribers each major service has in the United States. Per the NMPA, at its annual meeting, Sperling, how many members does Spotify have? I think in the U.S. they have 44.4 million paid subscribers if I'm interpreting these numbers to That's correctly. just in the U.S. alone. Keep going. Right. Who's next? Well, Apple Music, uh, 32.6 million subscribers. Uh, you know what? They have enough subscribers. I'm going to cancel all of them. I'm going to go to the Taylor Swift concert. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to. You, you'd uh, have to cancel it for about for one ticket for four years. Yeah, to pay for a single Taylor Swift, so I wouldn't be so quick to do that. It's a pretty good bargain. So, forty-four million for Spotify, thirty-two million for Apple. What about Amazon? Twenty-nine point three million subscribers. I I kind of forgot that you could subscribe to Amazon Music. I totally that's that's my service. That's my service. Go figure. That's the one I use. Spotify. You don't have Spotify. I switched from Spotify to Amazon Music. I got Amazon had all the highest quality available without an extra fee. And so that's oh. why I switched. They basically have the same service, but Amazon, without charging extra, makes a higher quality download and streaming available to people. So I And in I the U.S., really... if you have Prime, do you also have Amazon Music? No, I don't believe oh, so. Oh, okay. That's good to know because I, I thought maybe I, I was don't, missing out I something. don't believe so. I think it's a separate thing, but I okay. could be wrong about that. So I'll look it up while you talk. Well, uh, is there anybody else? I mean, well, you got YouTube. I, YouTube has always been in this, in this business in some way, you know, 8.5 million paid subscribers. Pandora has 2.4 million paid subscribers. 
And title has who knows? They, there's no word on what title has. I mean, that's that's amazing, isn't it? That, like, well, here's the problem that I see. T- yeah. I, I look at all these subscribers and there's double dippers like me, or should I say foolish people like me, uh, who pay for two services. Uh, but that said, uh, I do wonder, uh, you know, we're at kind of a saturation point. The only way for these people to make more money, and by people, I mean streaming services, the only way for these services to make more money is to raise prices. Right. Well, in fact, they should be making less money because they're not paying out enough royalties to the people who create the music. Okay. Well, then that's a problem. But now you, you mentioned at the, the head of the show, TikTok, which by the way, I, I like to mention, I do not use. I do not use TikTok. I probably should. It's what all the cool kids are using. Uh, now with threads, it's, you know, I'm not using well, TikTok. Well, TikTok or says they are, they are great for discovery. They've got people and influencers are, now people can do playlists on Amazon and, and Spotify and Apple. I do, I've done them. And you can follow those playlists. Oh, I love that person's taste. Uh, but TikTok does that really, really well. They help create new stars. They also do the same thing with books. That's why they've launched a book imprint because they've been creating these bestsellers. And like, we want to get in that business. To which I would say, you know, having someone post a video saying, I love this book is not the same as publishing. That's very, very it's a different. much different business, much different business. But they've launched TikTok music in Brazil and Indonesia. Uh, all the majors are signed up to it. So it's a, it's a good, uh, you know, and they feel like they are a streaming competitor because they offer discovery in a way that the other Spotify, Amazon and Apple do not. I don't really, what I don't tell, tell you how little I discover stuff on Amazon music. You know, I follow people like Brian Eno. I follow him. So when he has a new album out, you would think somehow that would be presented to me saying new releases, Michael, that you would enjoy. Like, here's the new Brian. But no, no, you have to, you know, you have to go search for it. I have to find out that people I've taken the time to follow have a new album out. That's crazy. You're, you're only paying for Amazon Music, right? Yes. So that means you have enough money to go see Taylor Swift. Right. I mean, you're going to go see her. Right? I've never had two. Uh, I have never had two different uh, music streaming subscriptions before, so I haven't saved money that way. But yes, no, it would be. Uh, I have not gone to see Elton John or Taylor Swift. I really would have liked to have seen the Elton John tour, but it just didn't happen. So that's a real bum. And I know they're making a ton of money, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether you want me to cover this. I know that uh, you know streaming they dominates the way people consume music, and and because streaming pays. Well, let's see. Um, well, if you subtract the one, I think the official amount is diddly squat, actually. That's mm-hmm. what they pay to songwriters and to performers. And by the way, that is a technical term. We can explain it later if you're interested. Artists make most of their money these days on touring and merchandise. And for the superstars, it's more profitable than ever. I mean, look at Elton John, his farewell tour, which, by the way, ended just this past weekend in yes. Stockholm, Sweden, his last singing show good, ever. Singing Goodbye Yellow, not last show ever, last big tour. Um, he right. ended with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. He will do one-offs and things. He's just not going to go on a big tour ever again. But it's, a, it's the end of an era. He's done it for more than 50 years. How much money did he make? $900 million. That's a lot <laughs> of money. He grossed that much money on tour, and that's the first tour in Billboard's history to gross more than $900 million. And coming on strong is Taylor Swift, she had a five-year gap in touring, thanks COVID, and that meant Swift could tap into a huge pent-up demand for her live performances. Plus, her fans are growing up right alongside the now 33-year-old superstar, and they have the disposable income to prove it. Plus, plus, 
Taylor Swift really made this tour, the Eras Tour, a huge event with three-hour shows that celebrate every facet of her career. So it's no surprise that grosses on the tour are approaching half a billion dollars, $500 million. I mean, she's been around, she's 33, Elton John's in his 70s. He's been around for 40, 50 years. She's just getting going. $500 million in merchandise alone. Oh, my half a, God. Oh that's God. a lot and of get t-shirts this, 44 songs she sings in three and a half hours good for her doing it right doing it like springsteen she's, man I, yeah I she's basically it. like come on bruce come on you're 77 yeah. i'm 33 come on let's go exactly as for ticket sales she might well pass elton john and become the first artist in history to gross one billion dollars on a tour indeed she just added 14 more nights to the european leg of her tour wow that's that's amazing. She really is the artist of an era. She's one that I've not wholly embraced. I've never really loved one of her albums, but I, it doesn't give me any pleasure. I'm not going to diss her. She's got a strong fan base, and she's doing it right in terms of you know promoting herself and doing the tour and taking the time to making an event. So you know, more power to her, I guess. Uh, do you think the Eagles can catch up? Yeah, I don't think there's any bad blood between the Eagles and Taylor Swift. I think. Oh, they, they you put all that behind them. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I think when you say things like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, you know, she just shakes it off, you know? <laughs> I don't think the Eagles have ever said that, but they have just announced their farewell tour in some major cities, and they said, look, we're going to tour through 2025. We've got some cities. We've got room to add more nights. If there's enough demand, we'll keep adding nights. So, you know, we're ready to go a long term. Can they match Elton and Taylor? I doubt it. I don't think they have the uh, desire to do that many shows. I don't think they have quite the worldwide profile that Elton John has or even Taylor Swift at this stage. Uh, I think they're more of a North American act. I know they've sold a ton of copies in Europe, but nonetheless, I don't think they've done the work over the years to tour around the world the way Elton has and the way that Taylor is. Uh, so I would assume that they're not going to be close, but they can obviously make a lot of money. Uh, but well, Taylor speaking Swift, of uh, tours, mm-hmm. I'm just getting this in as you're talking here now. Uh, Madonna just postponed her tour due to her no, health. that's no, that's we've had that out for a while. I thought we talked about it last week, even. Well, well no, yes, she's, no, she had postponed a couple dates. Now she's postponed no, the whole tour. Yeah, yeah, officially, they, 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 as opposed to being like you know unofficial. Okay, I thought it was official already. They, they, they just, you know, they said she can't do any shows and we'll reschedule everything when we can figure out when she'll be physically able to. But yeah, you know, she was in the hospital. She had a health crisis and, you know, she can't do her tour yet. So hopefully she'll get better and do that. But, uh, you know, she's a trailblazer for all sorts of artists, but certainly Taylor Swift. Uh, she's never done anything like Taylor has, and that's the re-recording of her old albums. We like the website Music Business Worldwide. If you're really into the music biz, I recommend... Uh, subscribing to their newsletter. It's free. And they have really interesting stories and they've done some deep reporting on the battle between uh, Taylor Swift and her former you know, label owner, Scooter Braun, and the big fight over her masters. Uh, they have reported pretty convincingly that Swift and her people did have the opportunity to buy back the masters at a price without some onerous NDA that would not allow her to say anything bad about Scooter ever again in her life, um, which was the thing that she had said at the time. This is super inside baseball, but for whatever reason that deal did not happen, she decided to re-record all her albums, which other artists have done, and some of them were like, yeah, don't put too much energy into that. It doesn't really work too well. Well, it's worked like gangbusters. 
Her new versions of her classic albums are now strongly outpacing the originals when it comes to streams and especially sales. Because of the tour, both versions have actually seen an increase in where they were before. So it's not that the old albums aren't being listened to at all, but her fans are, by and large, much preferring the newer versions that Taylor endorses and certainly buying the newer versions dramatically more than they are buying new copies of the old albums that have been out for years. Uh, The new recordings are vastly outpacing the original, which dramatically undercuts the value of the masters that other people have paid for. And she's still got a couple albums to go, including 1989, her biggest album, and in my, my opinion, her best to date. So... That's fascinating. Nobody's done that before to the level of success that she's done it. Made it a cause celeb for her fans to not listen to the older versions of her albums, but listen to the new one. She's touring all over the world. Uh, Taylor Swift's tour will never die. As long as she wants to keep going on shows, apparently she'll be able to do it. Well, I'm going to take her on. I'm going to re-record all my old albums. Yes, we're going to do every podcast over again. Woo! We can do it. 622 episodes, Sperling. We can do it. Uh, no, not over my dead body. But unfortunately, some people have died very quickly. Actor Jeffrey Carlson, uh, best known for All My Children, died at the age of 48. I'm still not sure why or how, but uh, it's a shame. He debuted on Broadway. I saw it in the Edward Albee play The Goat, or Who is Sylvia? I remember him in that show. Then he played the key role of Marilyn in the Boy George musical Taboo. That's not Marilyn Monroe, but Marilyn, a figure in the UK music scene. I saw that show as well. Uh, So I was tracking his career. Then he made his mark on the daytime soap All My Children in a groundbreaking role. He debuted on the show as a British rock star named Zarf. Z-A-R-F, Zarf, of all things. The character disappeared, but then they got an It doesn't seem to have been the plan all along. They got a new idea. The character came back a few months later as Zoe. Zarf had transitioned to a lesbian woman, making this the first telling of a transgender person's coming out on an American soap opera. The series won a GLAAD award for that storyline. It was a signal moment in daytime TV, which really impacts a lot of people. And here's the kicker. I love this. This is why I'm telling this story. The actor's mom named him Jeffrey because she loved All My Children and the character on the show, Jeff Martin. So he was named after All My Children and made his biggest impact on that show. So that's pretty cool. Sad to see him gone, but that's a pretty neat legacy. I was surprised that you didn't have the... the, uh, the Actress who, who voiced Mulan. Uh, I, I considered it, but you give Co- me such Coco grief. Yeah, well, yes, she, she, you know, it's, a, it's a complicated story involving mental health and the, that visibility in China of dealing with that issue that people are becoming a little more forthcoming about. She unfortunately died by suicide. Uh, she was a major figure in China. She did the voice for the Chinese version of Mulan in that language. She uh, also did some other key work that uh, she's really well known for in a very, very sunny disposition, like a Doris Day type, always happy and smiling. That was her public persona. So makes it all the more ironic and sad that she would uh, battle mental health. But her family had talked about it. She fell into a coma after a suicide attempt and never recovered. So it was very sad, but it's pretty ironic you would say you were surprised to include an obituary when you give me grief every week well uh, i apologize for giving you grief and i apologize that we're so short this week i know that you usually expect to spend a good hour hour and a half or three hours you know we try to you know compete value, with our friend. value for the money value for right. the money right uh you know if we can't be longer than a taylor swift concert why bother 
Um, (laughs) In any case, you can subscribe to our program here in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, Spotify, you know, any any one of those podcast aggregators, uh, they are, you know, paying us nothing to put our show on their on their, you know, on their services. So please do subscribe to the show, rate and review the show on any one of those aggregators that allows you to do so. It helps us when you do that. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, links to ways to subscribe to us can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you can find ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. We're also on voicemail. 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. At Showbiz Sandbox is our handle on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page on Facebook. The music you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website. Who is MGMT.com? Michael Gilt has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? Uh, taylorforever.com which undoubtedly is already a website so don't go there well then maybe head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of your coverage of the entertainment industry is aggregated some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com until next week play nice Okay, I forgot to include this. I predict there will be a story about purchasing the rights to this article in the Washington Post by Sally Jenkins. It's a story about the friendship of Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova and their battles with cancer. They've been friends for decades, in and out, but now firm friends for life. It is such a good story. It's really long. It's so involving, so interesting. If you have any interest in tennis or fighting cancer or friendship, it's a great story by Sally Jenkins. And I swear, I was like wait, waiting, watching the, the feed to see when is somebody going to option this for a documentary film or feature a film, and she's certainly going to turn it into a nonfiction book because it's that detailed and that good. So uh, any minute now, if it hasn't happened already, we'll be hearing about that. I and we've got a link in we've got a link in the show notes. Really, when you've got a a, a little time, uh, read that story. It's just terrific. Well, thanks for pointing it out. You're welcome. Bye bye.